I really like buddy cop movies. You guys like buddy cop movies? You know, when you've got two guys and they're partners and they got to solve the crime and, you know, usually there's some tension between the two guys who are friends but can't quite get along. A lot of great buddy cop movies. Um, but the best buddy cop movie um, by far is one where one of the cops isn't a person. And that movie is Turner and Hooch. Oh, yeah. Anybody seen Turner and Hooch? People are, okay, yeah. So Turner and Hooch is one of those movies that Tom Hanks made to show he's better than all other actors, right? Where he acts um, a part, uh, you know, he, he did it once with a volleyball, but in this movie, his, his co-star is a dog, right? Uh, and uh, in this movie, Turner, Scott Turner, is a cop, and Hooch is this massive dog who is the witness, kind of massive angry dog, who's the witness to a murder. And so Turner gets Hooch because he's trying to figure out who did this murder, and the rest of the movie is their escapades together. It is a great, well, I haven't seen it in a lot of years. I remember it being a great movie. Um, funny and, and just, it's great. Tom Hanks is amazing. So I found out this week that they have made a new TV show on Disney Plus as like a follow-up of Turner and Hooch. Uh, I did not know this was a thing, and I have not yet seen it. I've only seen the trailer, but I got really excited about the trailer, okay? So I'm going to share that with you this morning. How did this happen? Also, why is there a dog in the office? Uh, uh, it's, it's a long story, sir. Everybody needs somebody sometimes. He's just totally out of control. I don't know what to do. I think I might know someone you can talk to. Erica, I mean, Scott. Hi. I, I'll let you two chat. If there's anything you can do, I'm desperate. He's just totally untrained. Gooch, sit. Down. Good. Wow. He behaves for everyone but me. Dad wrote it before he passed. Dear Scotty, I know you think you don't want a dog. But everything I care about in my life started with a dog. I think we'd see something that we don't. Didn't see that coming. Great job. Get the dog out of here. I am so sorry. Is he yours? Oh, yeah, unfortunately. Everybody needs somebody sometimes. Okay, so great. Cute dog, right? Good background music track. I love it. Um, but what really grabbed me was that line, um, it, it may not be the pet he wants, but the partner he needs. Um, and and, and it, I've been thinking a lot about partners and um, what it means to be partners. And I think this is a huge theme in Scripture that maybe in my life I, I kind of missed. So um, I, I think there's a connection here between the, the buddy cop theme and something like a Turner and Hooch movie or TV show or whatever, um, where uh, the one partner is kind of a superior level partner, um, but somehow elevates the other up, right? And um, if you've seen the, I haven't seen the show, but the original Turner and Hooch movie, um, Turner gets down on the dog's level literally and figuratively in a lot of moments, and it's hilarious and cute. Um, and he also talks to the dog like he imagines the dog is intelligent enough to respond to him, which I think most dog owners do. Um, and, and by the end of that film, that dog is really a partner, right? Not just a pet. So uh, I think that when the ancient world thought about creation, uh, they thought, hey, you know, God made humans to be his servants or to be his slaves. And then Moses comes and says, no, that's not it. God made humans because he wants us to be his partners. 
And, and I think this idea of God making us partners is, is really fundamental in Scripture. It's, it's so important, even though I guess I didn't really start thinking about it until relatively recently in, in that language. So I want to point it out to you where I see it in Genesis, and then we'll point out where we see it in Matthew, and we'll talk about why that means for us. Um, so do me a favor, if you've got your Bible open, uh, and you're still on Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 14, um, begins the story of day 4, okay? And, and, and in day four, Amanda did that cool thing with us, right? Day four, God makes the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Uh, I want you to notice something unusual about how God speaks about what He makes on day four. Um, so uh, verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the sky to separate day and night. Let them be for signs, seasons, days, and years. Let them give light upon the earth. It was so. So far, so good. God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. It's a weird thing to say. And the lesser light to rule the night. That's also kind of odd. And the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. What stands out to me there is this idea of the stars ruling, right? Uh, There's actually two different Hebrew words there, um, but they both have the connotation of a government, right, of being like a king. Nowhere else that I can remember in the Hebrew Bible are either one of those words used to describe a, a non-personal um, thing, right? It's always like the king ruled or, or the governor ruled or the emperor ruled or whatever. So it's really odd that here we're told the, the, the sun and the moon are, are governing, okay? Um, so a lot of Scholars, and uh, a lot of Jewish scholars particularly, read this and think this is not just talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is God making the angels, okay? Uh, And the reason they think this, a couple of reasons. Um, One is this idea of governing, right, that they're going to rule the heavens. Um, But also, remember the very first line of Genesis? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And we're going to get a group of beings that are going to rule the heavens, right? We're told about them right here in, in day four, uh, these heavenly bodies, whatever these things are, they're going to rule the heavens. And we're going to get a group of people that are going to rule the earth, right? That's going to be us. Uh, and uh, when we get to, well, for example, Genesis chapter three, there's going to be a talking serpent, which is a little bit weird. We'll get to that later. But somebody's going to say, where the heck did the talking serpent come? What day did God make that? Well, it was on day four, right? When God made the rulers in the heavenly places. Uh, the angels and those beings that show up throughout Scripture, cherubim and seraphim and all those crazy guys. Um, by the way, something else really interesting happens in this, in this day four moment. So um, we're told, uh, let's, let's go back to day one for a minute. Um, we're told in day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Okay, really, like this is like unbelievably simple question. I know you know the answer, but who does day one say makes the light? God, you did it. You're doing great. Okay. And who does day one say separates the light and the darkness? God. Okay, fantastic. Now, we're not told this, but I think the implication is that on day two, it's still God making the light, and it's still God separating light from darkness. And on day three, still God, right? Still God doing those things. But on day four, those jobs get handed off. Isn't that interesting? God takes some of his own responsibilities and his own authority, and he says, up till now, I've been making the light, 
but now I'm going to put these things in the, in the heavens, and, and the sun and the moon and the stars are going to make the light. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and he says, up till now, I've been separating light from darkness, but I'm going to make these things that are going to start separating light and darkness for me. So God quite literally hands over not just responsibility, but authority to somebody else to do some of the work that he was doing. Are, are, we, on, are we on the same page? Okay, so then we get to, to day six, okay? And in day six, God makes humans. Uh, and we get similar language for humans. We're told um, that God said, actually, verse 26, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, and everything that's on the earth. Uh, and then, uh, verse 28, God said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that moves upon the earth. Again, just like God did in the heavenly realms, so God does on the earth. He makes a, a creation, us, and He says, I want you to be involved in governing earth. I want you to rule earth. Right? I'm, I'm going to give you some of my responsibility and some of my authority, and you're going to be in charge on earth, just like the angels are going to work on heaven, and then, you know, God's the, the boss, right? He's the head honcho. Um, this is such an interesting idea for me uh, in so many important ways, uh, that when God creates us, He doesn't want us to be servants, doesn't want us to be slaves. Uh, he doesn't initially, we'll get there, but initially it's not even children yet. He wants partners, right? He wants people that will work with Him to govern and subdue and rule and fill and multiply His creation. Uh, God says, hey, get on board with me. I want to do something awesome with you. Uh, not unlike, I'm stretching the metaphor here, um, but not unlike um, a, a Turner and Hooch situation, right? One of those partners is vastly superior to the other. And this is not a relationship of a partnership of equals by any imagination. But the greater partner elevates the lesser, lifts them up to his, uh, not his level, but closer to his level. Uh, and we'll certainly see throughout the course of the Bible, but most obviously in Jesus, sometimes the greater partner lowers himself to the level of um, the people he's working with, the people he's made. So um, this, is a, this is a huge idea um, that God wants to partner with us, and that in partnering, God gives us some of His responsibility and some of His authority. Uh, and I recognize that I am um, probably going to make John Calvin roll over in his grave here, okay? Um, but, but I'm convinced, and I get this from a variety of places, but i really influenced by Gregory Boyd. Um, I, I'm convinced that God is all-powerful, but doesn't need to be in control of every little detail of our lives. I'm convinced that we have actual free will, right? We actually get to make real choices, uh, and, and that, that God is allowing us a real partnership, right, where we get to say, hey, do I want to follow you or not? But what God wants from us as, our, as partners is more than just obedience. God wants our ingenuity. He wants our creativity. He wants our passion. He wants our compassion. God made us because He wants little images of Himself running around doing incredible things that He can celebrate. I'll give you an example. Uh, this picture that you're looking at right now on the back of um, our slide here is from the James Webb Telescope. Anybody been following the James Webb Telescope a little bit? It got 
launched, I don't know, a while ago. Um, we started getting pictures. It's a space telescope. I don't understand the science, but it's amazing. I mean, it is just amazing. The images we're getting from space and uh, of, of stars and galaxies we've never seen before and the clarity with which they come is just breathtaking. And, and I got to imagine that the God who made all of those stars and galaxies uh, and, and everything out there that's so incredible is so excited that we are finally able to see some of what he made, right? I, I got to imagine he's up there celebrating, saying, that is awesome. I'm so proud of you and your creativity and your work and all that you've done to make that happen. Uh, another example, um, I have this conversation all the time with people when folks talk about going to the doctor and all the things that, that medicine can do now, right? And people will always say, I cannot believe what's possible today. I cannot believe it's possible that I can go in and have a hip replacement and in two days I can be walking around and be pretty normal. I can't believe it's possible that I had a heart problem and I went in and they put a pig valve into my heart and now my heart works again, right? I can't believe it's possible. On and on and on and on. And I think God sees all that and he's so pleased and excited about our creativity and our design and our intellect and our effort in, in working in his world. Have you ever known uh, uh, or been a parent of a young child? Actually, better yet, before you've been a parent, were you ever, I, I knew friends who had young kids before we had kids. Um, and, and do you have a friend who's got a young kid or maybe a grandkid and they come to you and they're like, oh my gosh, can I tell you what my kid just did? My kid just rolled over and um, he said, goo goo. And you're like, whoop-de-doo, man. That's, that's, I can do that like 10 times a day. Um, but, but for the parent, it's so exciting, right? For the parent, it's like, but you got to understand. And, and then when you become a parent, you get it, right? You get why it's so amazing that your kid took his first step and then face planted into the table. Like, yes, awesome, good job, you're walking. Sorry about the table, but you're walking. I think God's like that with us. Um, I think God looks at everything that we do with that kind of excitement and joy. Yes, like I wanted you to figure that out. I wanted you to grow. I wanted you to create uh, a beautiful house. I wanted you to learn how to grow crops in that incredible way. I wanted you to do all these things, right? But like a parent, God also sometimes gets involved directly in our world. Sometimes God does direct miraculous things, which is amazing, and we celebrate that, and we got a Bible full of those stories. But what God really wants is, is for those two things to come together. What God really wants is for us to take the best of our human ability and come to Him and say, hey, can we work together with you on this? Can we work together with you? Like, God, this person is really, really sick. And um, we know that you're the great physician. And so, God, we're going to pray like crazy that you would work a miracle in this person's life. We're also going to take this person to the best doctors in the world. And we're going to get them all the best medical care we can get because we know that's what you want us to do. You want our, our trust in your power and our own creativity and work and governance of this world to come together in such a way that we can cooperate with you. And, and that cooperating with God is really the heart of the whole story of the Bible. It is actually the Bible, right? The Bible is a book that's written by humans and by God together in partnership. Um, and every story that happens in the Bible is a story of that kind of partnership with God. Oh, gosh, okay. Um, so w let's talk about prayer for a minute. Um, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where they've said, I don't know why I need to pray. I understand I pray prayers of confession. I understand I pray prayers of praise. I understand I pray prayers of thanksgiving. 
But I don't know what the point is of praying a prayer um, of intercession that God would change something. Because either um, God's already going to do it and it's not really needed, or God's not going to do it and, I, and he's not going to change because I said a prayer. Right? And surely if God wants to heal that person, they're gonna, he's going to do it whether or not I pray about it. Right? I've had this conversation a hundred times. Uh, and, and this idea of partnership completely changes how we think about prayer. Because the Bible is consistent again and again and again. Yeah, God will change his mind if you pray. God has appointed you as rulers of this earth, right? God has placed us as his, as his ambassadors on earth, and he expects us to invite his help. He expects us to partner with him. Prayer is one of the most important ways we partner with God. And so God changes his mind when Moses prays, right? God changes his mind when Hezekiah prays. God changes his mind. Jesus says, if you ask for something, believe in faith and you'll receive it. James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah made it stop raining for three years because of his prayers. Now, this idea that, that our prayers don't matter because God's going to do what he's going to do is not a biblical idea, right? The Bible says, no, you need, to, you need to partner with God in your prayers. You need to ask him to show up because he's wanting and waiting for you to partner with him in that way. Uh, there's, there's literally nothing important in your life that God doesn't want to partner with you on. Um, raising your children, struggling with your sin, overcoming injustice, being a really good friend, dealing with a personal conflict, excelling at work, in your medical crisis, in your grief, in your joy, and making beautiful the creation of which we are stewards. In all these places, God wants to partner with us, right? God says, hey, I've given you some authority. Now call me in and let's do this together. The, the most important way God ever partnered with someone was with a, a teenage girl in Nazareth named Mary. And God says, hey, I got a plan. I'm going to send the Messiah to save the world. And I just need one, one teenage girl who's going to help. Let's do this thing together. Um, Jesus talks about this in, in the Gospel of Matthew, but he puts a different spin on it. So Jesus says, hey, it's not just uh, that... I want you to partner in this work of, of creation and, and this work of, of reclaiming our world. Um, it's also that I want you to partner in the work of redemption. So we get in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says, um, there's a, there's a harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Ask the Lord to send out harbors, laborers into his harvest. And then it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to cure every disease and every sickness. Jesus says, I want you to start doing the stuff that I've been doing, right? I'm going to give you some of my authority. I'm going to give you some of my responsibility. I'm still Jesus, right? I'm still, I'm still the Messiah, but you're going to partner with me, uh, and, and the work of redemption is going to be something that, that we work on together as you share the gospel, and my spirit works in people's hearts, and we bring them to light and hope and life and joy. See, I think one of the great challenges for us in the Christian life is um, we don't really take this partnership idea seriously. Uh, either we think everything is in God's hands, leading to some really bad theology that blames God for evil and excuses us for inaction, or we think everything's in our hands, leading to all kinds of bad theology that usurps God's role and relegates Him to a non-factor in our lives. What if instead of that, what if we said every day when we woke up, God, 
I'm ready to be your partner today. Whatever comes, whatever conversations, whatever relationship problems, whatever joys or, or crises, whatever comes, God, I want to work with you on that. I want to be your partner. I want to trust that together we can do something extraordinary. Uh, originally, I was going to say um, we can be the, the hooch to God's turner, but, but actually that's not the language that Scripture uses. The Scripture says that we're to rule with God. Um, there's a couple scenes in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that um, point out a really interesting way that God thinks about us, not as His hooch, but something more. Listen to what the children are called in these two clips. Certainly is, Lucy, since you have arrived. Look, I've put up with a lot since I got here, but this... We thought you were the witch. Yes, I'm sorry about that, but uh, in my defense, I have been driving one of these longer than the witch. I thought there was no Christmas in Narnia. No, not for a long time. But the hope that you have brought your majesties is finally starting to weaken the witch's power. Long live Aslan And Merry Christmas We found the traitor He was rallying your enemies in the shuddering woods Ah, nice of you to drop in You were so helpful to my wolves last night Perhaps you can help me now Forgive me, your majesty Oh, don't waste my time with flattery Not to seem rude I wasn't actually talking to you. What do they call him? Majesty. That's what God calls us. He appoints us as queens and kings, as royal children, a royal priesthood under him to govern and guide and create and redeem and shepherd this world. God calls us um, to be part of this incredibly work. We, we get to be kings. We get to be queens. We get to be majesties. Uh, and at our best, we're equipped to do extraordinary things together with God. But even at our worst, right, in that one scene with Edmund at the end, um, he's, he's betrayed his family, right? He's, he's traveling with the white witch, the, the embodiment of evil, um, but he's still majestic, right? He's still in the image of the king, and everything that we do, we're called to live into our identity as God's majestic partners. In prayer and in practice, in proclaiming the gospel and producing the kingdom, partner with Christ. Partner with Him in the work of redemption and partner with Him in the work of creation. And the more you partner with Christ, the more you will begin to look and act and love like Him. Thanks be to God. Amen.